Do I get to kill the English? <laughs> Excellent. It's my island. <laughs> from the Mundangerous Bazaar in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 132 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about emerging from behind the GM screen and rolling in the open. But first, the rogue traders unbox a present in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the Holy Roller keeps it medicinal in the Character Creation Forge. So Shane, let's move right into Dynasty Unwarranted. Where in the heck are we? Besides a terrible planet, because that's where we always are. A terrible planet or the warp. So the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy's 2nd edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And the Rogue Traders have returned an Imperial Reliquary to Lord Captain Duhanroth on the surface of the Desert World Malajact. He was so thankful and was like, oh my god, have so much money, and also that time you screwed me over, all is forgiven, and also, um, you can leave, right? You, you, you hoped he would do that, uh, but, <laughs> but, but he, did he? he didn't, no, of course he, of course he didn't, no, no. Uh, no, instead, you uh, received very sharp orders from an Ordo Hereticus Inquisitor. Who is 14 years old. <laughs> Yeah, and a very powerful psyker herself. <laughs> so we're going to do what she says. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you had some rogue traderly banter with Lord Captain Roth. And then uh, as soon as you produced the reliquary itself and uh, and everyone saw it, she said, good, it's time to get to work. Come with me. I hate working for the Inquisition. Yeah, no one likes to work for the Inquisition, except the Inquisition. <laughs> so we are unsure if um, we're about to be killed or given a big reward, or, or to be honest, maybe both. Right. <laughs> the big reward is you get killed quickly. Yes, honor comes in death. Right. <laughs> the emperor thanks you for your service. <laughs> Only in death does duty end. <laughs> Importantly here... No one no one among you is brave enough or foolish enough to cross an Inquisitor, so you're along for the ride here. Yeah, it's important for us to note that Roth is also like, yep, gonna do what she says. Yeah, and, and not to mention, there's still a, another figure that you haven't identified yet standing beside the Inquisitor and uh, Roth, who is cloaked, but large and hulking and clearly clad in power armor. Gee, who could he be? Yeah, how could this get worse? <laughs> the tiny Inquisitor with a powerful psychic mind also has a bodyguard. Yay. So we head deeper into the bunker and we're escorted to a war room on a lower level where she tells um, the the adjutant to Roth, the, the guy who's like too cool for school, like the desperado, tell her men to set up camp. And, so, you know, we do the same thing with our men. She also tells the cogitator operators to get out uh, and also the Vox officers. So, yay. Yeah, so she clears out the war room. The witnesses. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's just your your rogue traders, uh, the Lord Captain, and this cloaked figure remaining, along with a, a 
apparently very powerful but very young Ordo Hereticus Inquisitor. Okay, so then she takes the reliquary and drops it on the table. Uh, how does she do that? Because we saw two giant Chaos Space Marines struggle to carry th- the thing between the two of them. Yeah, and I mean, when you guys uh, carried it out from the Ambition, the ship that you recovered it from, it took two of you. Uh, and, and you really actually struggled even to, to get it out of the chapel uh, as it was rapidly decompressing. Uh, it took two armsmen to carry it even here in on Malajact planet side to get it into this war room. And she just picked it up casually and set it on a table. Maybe I don't want to know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, reliquaries are very powerful objects, so... You Who know. knows? <laughs> it's like a unicorn, and it's she's like, a virgin. It's like it's like the emperor protects. <laughs> <laughs> then she turns to the cloaked figure uh, in the giant power armor and says, <clears throat> "Interrogator Chaplin." God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, he steps forward, leaves his robes behind, and reveals the jet black power armor and the. Uh, legendary badges of the Dark Angels, the first legion of the Astartes, the the Imperial Space Marines. Yeah, it's a freaking Space Marine. This is our first Space Marine, isn't it? This is your first uh, uh, loyalist well, an space, marine. space Marine. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and he is wielding the gigantic scepter uh, capped by the Dark Angels like uh, Angel of Death icon. It's sort of a skull with wings. Like everything. Like in everything in Fortnite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and he wields his, and you you realize, uh, you know, a, a chaplain of the Dark Angels, an interrogator chaplain, no less, a pretty important space marine, right? But he takes the scepter and inserts it into a locking mechanism on the reliquary, something that you, you hadn't even really noticed was a lock. Uh, and as he does that, it slides open with a click and reveals a different mechanism, uh, a second mechanism. And then the tiny Inquisitor steps forward, takes off her rosette from her neck, and puts that into the lock, which also turns with a click. The lid depressurizes, and it opens. And what do you find inside, Ishan? A stupid book. It's a stupid book. (laughs) It's not guns. It's not a pirate cache. It's not not some uh, psychically active object that would be, you know, very magnifying to Flair's power. Nope. No no pirate weapons that may or may not be Necron weapons. Not even a four sword. It's just no, a book. No Inferno pistol. No plasma rifle. Man, what a waste, I say to no one. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, what it is is a large ancient tome. It is, uh, you know, very, uh, very finely bound and... The finest imperial materials, which are, of course, some combination of leather and gold and uh, probably steel. Uh, It is covered in um, Dark Angel's iconography. And then on the uh, face of it is a relief, sort of an engraving of a scepter similar to the one that the interrogator chaplain is carrying. Um, Except it's a little bit different. Uh, and this is sort of the first time as you look at it and, and then look at his and look at it and look at his that you realize something special about his uh, his scepter. Um, the cover has eight black pearls socketed into it, and they are actual black pearls. Um, when you look at the interrogator chaplain's scepter, you see he has three black pearls socketed into his. 
And so he reaches in, grabs the book, and finally speaks. And he says, this holds the secret. And we'll find out how deadly that secret is next week. So this week, we're talking about rolling in the open. Previously, we have talked about fudging the dice. So, you know, you're rolling behind the DM screen, I think, as is typical for most games. And, you know, maybe you change what's on them. Uh, this time, we're talking about the opposite. You, along with all the players, so the GM is rolling the dice in front of everyone. It's much, much harder to tweak things as they go. We kind of call this uh, playing it where it lies. <laughs> right. Yeah, so for a long time, RPGs sort of put up a wall between the GM and the players. And it was a literal wall because it was the GM screen, right? Uh, so you would keep your notes in your books. and but who paid of- for that wall? <laughs> Uh, but you would keep your notes and your books and all of your dice and your rolls and your outcomes hidden behind that and then just sort of explain what happened to all of the players. And I think that's the way that probably most groups continue to play today. But I think as games have evolved over time, the role of the GM and the players has also changed with it. So more games are more collaborative. There's a lot of sharing narrative control Um, decisions about how dice outcomes are interpreted are now sort of shared across the GM and the players. So um, in some ways, like that DM screen has sort of become a relic of the past uh, for some games. Yeah, I think also with the rise of OSR games, the old school renaissance, you have more people these days who sort of remember fondly the days when combat was extremely deadly. And so we're going to roll out uh, you know, in front of everyone. And like, if you get critted and you die, you die. That's right. what happens. Right. So yeah, today we're going to talk about another way to sort of help tear down the wall between GMs and players. And that's, as you described, rolling in the open, showing your dice to everybody. So for those who haven't ever played this way, how do you go about doing it? What does it look like at the table? I, I mean, it's simple. You can still keep your screen if you need to hide your notes or whatever. But but it's basically just whenever you need dice, you pick them up and you roll them in front of you uh, where they can be seen. You don't necessarily need to like highlight what the roll was or do the math or anything like that. You just roll them so they're public and then interpret the results for everyone at the table. Yeah, you're basically rolling in that you know communal space that sort of ends up forming in the middle of a table where everyone's kind of rolling their dice right so that's easy that's simple let's just just do that and we're done yeah it's simple right like nothing is that different afterwards or is it well maybe a couple things change okay so what changes well first off it's trust uh the trust is now explicit rather than implicit the players no longer have to wonder if the gm is quote unquote playing fair it means that you as a GM aren't going to be able to do any kind of heavy-handed fudging. Yeah, the uh, the one in a thousand shot that, you know, you just, oh my God, I can't believe I happened to roll it this way uh, that you have to sell your players on, you're not going to be able to do that anymore because they're going to see the dice. It also means as a GM, you've got to give up the idea that you can control a lot of the minutia of the game. Yeah, as you mentioned, you can't fudge as easily. So more of the narrative is out of human hands and put into the randomness of the dice, right? So you just have to be ready to roll with those punches. 
Yeah, and depending on the system that you're using, sometimes the randomness of those dice is um, a much broader spectrum than <laughs> yeah. might be uh, easy for your game. <laughs> I, I will tell you, uh, I mean, because I do this for 40K for Rogue Trader uh, a decent amount of time, and there are definitely fights where it's like, man, I blew the first roll, and like, I'm not sure if my big bad is going to get a turn anymore. <laughs> like, the, uh, the death spiral is real. That's that's because that's how we built our characters. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It can also really up the engagement at the table because the players are now extremely involved in what's happening on the GM's turn. They're literally looking at the GM as they roll the dice and everyone is watching the dice land. Yeah, if you have a flair for dramatic, this is great, right? Because you can uh, use the dice rolling to build tension um, because... You know, players will see the outcome of the dice, but not know what it necessarily means. Um, so if they see, you know, you rolled a 20 or you rolled a one, like, well, what is that going to mean for the game? Right. I'm, I'm waiting for the result to be told to me, even though I know it has to be either this direction or that direction. Or if I, if you roll something very middle, uh, it could be a borderline case and they don't know. Did we, did we succeed or fail? What, what's going on? Also, you'll be able to see exactly who's paying attention because when you're going to grab that fistful of dice and plop them in the middle of the, in the middle of the table, you'll be able you'll see whose eyes are following your hand. Yeah, th- there's a fun little trick here when you like uh, when you're rolling fireball damage. Like this is one that Angelo does to us in Dark Sun, yeah. where he's like he'll like count them loudly, and and he doesn't use a GM screen, right? So he'll like count them, and he'll be like, "Hey, can I borrow two d sixes?" <laughs> and then it'll t- and everyone is like, "Wait a minute, what?" Oh, wait, I need two more. Sorry, I just counted. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry. No, I need I need a couple more. And then I'll just take a fistful of dice and drop them. <laughs> well, like, he'll shake them for a bit first, right? right? He'll just be like looking at the at the battle map and he's thinking and he's like, and just shaking, you know, 11d6. Right. And we're just like, come, come on. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, yeah, I mean, that was a fireball. <laughs> like also 41 damage. <laughs> right, Roll a safe. <laughs> right. oh, 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 yeah. Did, did I mention it's a fireball? Right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it, it really does drive engagement. <laughs> uh, there are also some things that don't change. Um, keep in mind, you're still the GM, so you ultimately still have to interpret dice. Um, you decide what a roll means, uh, even though the, the number is out of your control and is now publicly visible, the interpretation of what that number means for your story and for your world is still entirely on you. Right, you're always deciding what does a 17 arcana check mean exactly in game terms. You're still doing that. Right. Adjudication doesn't really change either. You still have to choose uh, when you're going to roll or when things just happen. So it doesn't matter if you're rolling in the open if this is a plot point that is just going to happen. Mm-hmm. And then you're also still responsible for all of the other things that GMs do. Wait, right? do they do other things? <laughs> yeah, you just no. roll dice and announce damage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, that was a trap. <laughs> no, you don't. What? You didn't have enough passive perception. It's fine. It was um roll roll poison damage. No no uh cold damage. <laughs> right. Cold and radiant. Yeah, but as the GM, you still have the other responsibilities, right? You're directing the spotlight amongst the players and sharing that. You are uh, building a narrative that's trying to, you know, um, tell a story or or, uh, challenge a moral quandary. 
you're the one making the PCs the star of the show. Like just because you're rolling dice in the public now, like you can't just introduce a DM PC or or have your NPCs sort of steal the spotlight from the players, right? You you still have all the other responsibilities of a GM uh, and and all of the other things that you have to manage in a combat, right? Uh, those don't go away just because you're rolling out in the open. They're still there. So we've established that fudging what a role means for the sake of the story or guiding the game through careful use of narrative control it doesn't end when you're rolling out in the open but how does it how does it differ how how do you continue to do it in a way that facilitates the story at the table so normally when you fudge dice right you roll them behind the screen and you just ignore what they say and you decide what the outcome is right oh yeah no i rolled a 22 of course i mean yeah it hits right you haven't been hit in a while this is getting boring exactly like let me just throw some damage at you right uh obviously that doesn't work as well anymore um because you can't just obscure the role entirely but you you do have some ways that you can ensure that you still have subtle control of what's going on so it's not totally random because no one wants totally random they want a coherent narrative and a and a fun escalating story right yeah occasionally you shout oh my god what's that and then you point out the window and when everyone turns to look you change the dice (laughs) okay yeah i guess i didn't leave any mechanical tricks in here (laughs) but but sure i mean it's like you remember oceans 11 right you just you get dice you get loaded dice this is the opportunity for loaded dice (laughs) no no those are mine those are mine uh you i don't want you to curse them Right. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right. So short being an actual literal dice cheat, <laughs> what are some ways that you can still fudge while rolling in the open? Well, like we said, you can obscure the meaning of the roll. Uh, you are the only one who knows what an 11 or a 17 or a 45 or a, a 3 under 40 means. Oh, I'll do you one better, Ishan. You're the only one who knows why you rolled a die in the first place. There's no reason that you have to declare that up front, right? Like, you don't have to say... <laughs> Okay, the enemy is attacking you, Ishan. Like, you're... uh, I am targeting Draco. Like, I don't have to tell you that. I can just roll dice and say, does an 18 hit your AC? Because I rolled an 18. (laughs) Like, that 18 could have been a perception check or a stealth check or whatever it needed to be before I rolled it uh, until I declare it. Also, players don't know the bonuses that are in effect at any given moment. Right. Uh, Yes, I rolled a 7. Uh, on this roll, they had a plus 24 to hit. Right. <laughs> you, you do have to be careful about that because players will get a sense of what numbers hit and which don't. Right. If it's normally a plus 11, 24 isn't going to cut it. Right. <laughs> uh, another trick is that you can resolve multiple actions with multiple dice rolls at the same time. So if you roll a set of dice, you're helping to obscure which die goes to which roll. So you can just narrate everything that happens at once based on the sum of the dice rather than having to resolve each one individually yeah that was a great attack roll an excellent saving throw uh but they did pretty poorly on their nature check to figure out how humans taste (laughs) so they're still gonna try to bite you because they don't know they have no idea (laughs) they don't know that humans are poisonous yeah (laughs) wait they're not man i really blew it (laughs) i get just claw claw (laughs) Uh, I mean, that's also true, especially like D&D where you have multi-attack, right? It's always easier to just roll a lot of attacks at once because you can sum them up. But, you know, if you have two claws and a bite and the bite has some follow-on effect, right? You can make sure the bite lands by rolling the claws with it and making sure the highest one was the bite. 
Yeah, you're just replacing the technique of rolling behind the screen, uh, but still obfuscating the actual meaning of the dice. Uh, you just happen to have players who can see a number on the table. Right. And and this is uh, just like fudging the dice. You don't want to do this on every roll, right? Like, in fact, the majority of rolls probably aren't consequential enough that you would want to cheat. But if you need to spice up an encounter or you need something to land, you can kind of quickly uh, give yourself, put the odds back in your favor of getting an outcome that you want. Yeah. As an as an aside, Shane, did you like you spend a lot of time on Reddit? I spent a lot of time on Reddit. Did you know that there's like an extremely vocal community of gamers on on Reddit, like D&D gamers on Reddit who hate the idea of ever ever fudging dice for any reason? I am kind of one of those people. I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm vocal about it, but I kind of do hate fudging dice. Like when I have to fudge dice, I feel bad. But I mean, it's like it's like it's a bit like being in a libertarian subreddit where it's like <laughs> right. you are very philosophically wedded to this. Right. Yeah, you've chosen this hill to die on. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, you, you yes, you have a position and it has neither been tested <laughs> extensively. <laughs> but you are very very yes, convinced 100% that it's right. percent sure of yeah. this, yes. <laughs> and you know, I I say this as a person who like I get where that is coming from totally. And like we talked about how Angelo in Dark Sun rolls uh, in front of everyone. And he does that specifically because Dark Sun is a game where we all decided that it was going to be pretty lethal. Characters were going to die. It was going to be a story about the company of adventurers and not any particular set of adventurers. Right. But, well, we decided that after enough adventurers well, after, died. <laughs> <laughs> but we always knew it was going to be gritty. Right. And when Angelo ran a 4E game... He wasn't rolling in front of people. Right. You know, he was doing the traditional, it wasn't a DM screen, but like over on his other table, you know, where we wouldn't necessarily be seeing his dice. Yeah. I mean, I think Angelo felt that he didn't have permission to kill our characters, but we had all agreed that the dice had permission to kill our characters. So he was going to at least make the dice transparent. Yeah. That is a, a great thing to consider is if you find yourself being a typically lenient GM and you either have players say, you know, I think I think we can spice this up. I think what we want is a little more danger. Like, don't be afraid of that. But you still have like this guilt or you're just not sure when exactly to do it. You can do it in front of the screen. And like when the dice say a character dies, a character dies. Yep. So getting back to, you know, fudging and narrative control, you all do also want to make sure that you are aren't setting up stakes that are pass fail, especially when it's much harder to fudge. You know, if... You know that like if they don't get past this one enemy, then there's no other way through because for some reason that's how you like built this dungeon. Right. Uh, well, you kind of have to make sure that they get through or else the story is over and you've got to start all over and it's a TPK and you know, everyone go home. Yeah. If you know that you can't cheat the role when it really matters, then you have to make sure you design uh, a session, um, if not a story, that has those types of fail safes so yeah. that there's always a way forward. Yeah, now you want to do that no matter what, but there's just less leeway for error when you're rolling in front of the screen. Right. So if you've never rolled dice openly in front of your players before, Ishan, what are what are some tips for trying it for the first time? I mean, be prepared for some strange looks, right? Because, you know, if you're, if you're going like all natural, then a lot of your players are going to be like, oh, that seems inappropriate. And I feel like I'm seeing more of you than I want to see. Okay. <laughs> yes. But, and then you just be like, well, this is very European. <laughs> right. And then, and then pull out your dice. <laughs> just whip out your dice and put them on the table. <laughs> Jesus. 
So uh, in terms of actionable advice, uh, I think I would recommend starting with like a very dramatic moment uh, with probably a binary outcome, right? Like right on the heels of saying, don't set up a pass fail, um, set up a pass fail where everyone sees that the die roll is going to determine the outcome, right? And make the stakes very, very clear. Uh, you know, if you roll six or better, the good thing happens. If you roll five or less, the bad thing happens. And the key to that, though, is knowing in advance what the two outcomes are going to be, right? Which direction the story is going to go. Yeah, as long as there, as long as you, in your mind there is a clear path for the story afterward, then it doesn't matter which way it goes. Something interesting is going to happen. So you know the the, the you're in a climactic battle over lava and you know and someone hits the evil wizard who's like holding the phylactery okay do they drop it or not let's roll out in the open and we'll see if they drop it maybe it lands in the lava right and a thing happens if they don't drop it and they hold on to it maybe they escape with it and a thing happens right but everyone's gonna see and everyone's gonna be hanging on that roll yeah speaking of dramatically dropping things what if your players are in a gun cutter uh carrying a damaged drop pod through gale force winds um you trust to your min maxed player to be able to make it through the storm (laughs) (laughs) so this is an actual scenario that i set up uh it was probably the first time that i really like made it clear that i was rolling in the open for you guys in rogue trader um but i i literally like you know we we had some skill checks that were made and, and we that determined the odds and then i said look here's what you've done overall uh, this single die roll is going to determine the outcome. Are you successfully navigating the storm or are you going down at sea? Um, and it turned out that, you know, with a 60% chance you did succeed and we didn't have a very, very nautical adventure after that. <laughs> <laughs> is this thing waterproof? B- but that was sort of the turning point of the campaign, right? Like, cause, cause it would have been, you guys lost at sea, uh, had you failed, um, and you didn't, so you ended up back and you ended up in a land war against orcs. So there's that. I'm so glad we didn't get lost at sea because the only thing I wanted to do, the only thing Shrank wanted to do was get off Gontal Grim. Right. <laughs> <laughs> back in the Navy. <laughs> Wait, this Navy is way worse than the Imperial Navy. It's wet. <laughs> um, so then in terms of, of trying it for the first time, right? Like I said, you want to announce the stakes to the players, kind of have a bit of showmanship to draw their attention on this role. And then you have to be excited for the outcome. Like whatever it does happen has to be the best possible outcome uh, or the most exciting possible outcome, pass or fail. Yeah, I would say uh, being excited about the outcome, I think is is more important when you're rolling out in the open than behind the screen because there is a danger i think of seeming like an uncaring or like nonchalant gm who's like yeah the dice are going to tell me what happens and then you know we'll see what happens and if you guys are screwed you guys are screwed because like that's how the dice went yeah you don't and you don't want it to be like well i had a really cool thing planned but you didn't roll the right way and i just rolled it randomly so you don't get it sorry haha here's a lame outcome instead yeah like well you guys sucked at perception today so there you go yeah exactly no adventure sorry (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Come back next week. <laughs> or don't. Right. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just here to eat pizza. <laughs> I don't like this GM. Who is he? <laughs> his name's Chad. <laughs> yeah, his name's definitely Chad. <laughs> <laughs>
Also, this is relevant to my interests, and I think, Shane, yours as well. Um, players, if you are in a game where the GM is rolling in the open, I think that it's basically an invitation to make sure that, mechanically speaking, your characters are as effective as they can be. Because when when the dice are going to land in front of everyone, you want to eke out... Uh, you want the odds in your favor as much as possible. I'm not saying, you know, oh, you should min-max, but I'm saying that a game where the GM rolls in the open can be a lot of fun for a group of min-maxers, a group of not necessarily power gamers looking to break the game, but people who enjoy the very tactical side of the game, people who uh, enjoy the fact that their characters are effective at what they do and then, you know, work together very well and build combos. Because sometimes if someone's rolling behind the screen, you're never 100% sure if, like... You know, everything that you did to eke out that one more AC really paid off right. 10% of the time. Right, right. But in front of the table, you can you can look at it and go, oh, that okay, that was worth it. That was successful. Like, uh, the, the math can really pay off for a particular kind of player in this kind of game. Yeah, and, and also as a GM, I think it's, if you have characters, or you have players who have specialized in defensive abilities, this is almost a way to just reward them, right? Because... It does feel weird as a player if you invest in defense and you are never sure whether or not he, the GM just happens to be rolling high enough to hit you and, and that seems improbably high or if these are very difficult enemies or, or what's going on, right? So uh, it's a way of rewarding defensive players for choosing that specialty just by giving them a chance to see like how many dice rolls are they actually negating with their investment yeah or those uh those spellcasters who have uh jacked up their save dc oh yeah saving uh, saver suck spells are some of the worst actually for this because it's like well wow you really did roll an 18 there's not a whole lot i can do about it but also it's like well i'm glad that you didn't just say no banishment didn't work because otherwise like we would roll this encounter in two parts yeah i mean you know as a gm you're sort of faced with well, you saw me roll a one on that saving throw. Exactly. <laughs> um, I guess the encounter's over. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, actually, um, go with fewer solos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's also part of it. You know, design your encounters knowing that you can't fudge out the big bad. Yeah. Um, legendary saves in 5e. Super helpful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, backup in pretty much any system. Yep. <laughs> uh, refractor fields in 40k <laughs> you know 15% chance is a 15% chance right <laughs> go ahead and take that plus 60 to dodge <laughs> and uh, lean heavily on the wog right <laughs> how did that happen uh, orc magic yeah, orc did it <laughs> so uh, as we kind of draw some conclusions here uh, about rolling in the open I think the first thing to keep in mind if your game isn't broken uh don't fix it you know uh like rolling in the open is fine and I, I think it's a way that we we do it in some games and don't in others and and all of our games work out fun so uh, i don't think it, it's a better way of doing it it is an alternative but you know if you're worried that it won't be well received at your table don't it's that's fine yeah or you know try it in a one shot or try it in a, a vignette that has fewer consequences than the actual plot of the story yeah um, you know, use it in one tense situation where, again, the consequences aren't going to be the worst thing if things go awry. Well, won't be the worst thing for your campaign planning, 
Right, because that's really what it matters is don't screw up my notes. <laughs> but maybe some character's mom dies. Right, well, you know, or your rogue trader. <laughs> um, I do think it's just a generally useful thing to have in your GM toolkit if you do happen to play like a lot of like impromptu games or you don't always play in a consistent place or environment like uh, if you end up kind of in a strange arrangement where you don't have a screen or everyone at the table is sharing dice like um, I know this happens sometimes at conventions you know you just don't have a screen to carry around with you all day Um, it can be helpful if you if you kind of know how this works right you can expose your dice to the table and you're already sort of working within that framework from the beginning yeah, and if you're going to do this, make sure that you know your players. Um, tearing down the GM screen, tearing down the wall between you and the rest of the table can really foster collaboration. But for some players, it also destroys the mystery of what's happening. You know, obviously there are some players who who prefer to see it and feel like it, it really does build that camaraderie, but others others want to know that the GM has like firm a firm grip on the reins of the game because that's why they're there. Right, you're here to play the GM's game, not the dice's game and players if your gm wants to try this out um or is making a suggestion at the table you can help it along by making sure that you're not overly nitpicky right if you know you have rules lawyer tendencies and are arguing over already arguing over dice rules that you can't even see make right. sure that you're not taking that to the next step when you're like wait but that's a seven right <laughs> Are you telling me that they have a plus 14, but we are only level 12, and there's no way that their proficiency bonus can be higher than a plus four? (laughs) Sure, they have the high ground, but that's a plus one at best. (laughs) Objection. (laughs) Objection. You don't see in his sheet, his class is Jedi. (laughs) He's got feet, and he knows people. (laughs) I took contact. (laughs) Uh, yeah, so uh, it, it, again, it is a fun technique, uh, one that I think uh, everyone should try out. Um, and if it works for you, that's awesome. Uh, it has definitely worked for us. Do you hear that, Ishan? That's me with the higher ground. You know you can't win. Nope, so I'm going to need another one since I just got bisected. <laughs> Time to move on to the Character Creation Forge. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sense Carne. That's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building the Holy Roller. So an evangelical, yeah, no, slain in the spirit guardians. No, so the holy roller is a man of the gods who trusts his deity to guide the dice or the cards or just the tide of battle in his favor. Not quite as cavalier as the gambler, but never doubts his ability to uh, deliver divine grace. So this is a build for Wednesday night bingo at church. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Social security, I'm going to rake it in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so given that the Holy Roller is a gambler by nature, obviously we're going to start halfling because you get to re-roll those ones with halfling luck. And also you can hide uh, behind people that you have swindled. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so what is the build? 
So the build is Lorebard 3, Divine Soul Sorcerer 6, Celestial Blade Warlock 9, and Divination Wizard 2. Okay, I like it. Uh, Lorebard 3 gets all of the bard goodies. Expertise, maybe that's in a gaming set, uh, maybe that's in Deception, or maybe it's just Insight. You also get Cutting Words, so you can, a few times a day, use Bardic Inspiration to reduce an attack roll and ability check or damage coming at you by a d6. Then the Celestial Blade Warlock will get you uh, full Packed Weapon invocations. You can get the new ones like Improved Packed Weapon and Eldritch Smite, uh, all, all of the options for the Warlock, as well as Healing Light, which is a pool of 10 D6s to share amongst your friends for healing uh, as a bonus action. That makes people more amenable to playing cards with you. Right. Uh, and then you also get Radiant Soul at level 6, which gives you resistance to radiant damage and allows you to add your charisma modifier to the damage for a spell that causes radiant or fire and you have a lot of those yeah six levels of divine soul sorcerer gets you uh, the option to choose divine magic uh, cleric spells rather than your sorcerer spells so you get things like bless um you can get a bane if you decide that you're going to have chaos affinity which why wouldn't you right Favored by the gods gets you a juicy plus 2d4 on a failed saving throw or an attack once every short rest. And Empowered Healing lets you top off your tank more effectively. Yeah, you can spend a sorcery point to re-roll any of the dice uh, that an ally is rolling for healing, uh, which will also apply to your Healing Light ability uh, as a warlock. And then Divination Wizard, of course, this is the one we're always looking for. Portent at second level lets you roll two d20s after a long rest, and you can sub them out for other d20 rolls throughout the day. As for feats, we highly recommend Lucky. Love this on any uh, build that likes to play games of chance. Uh, I will say this is a halfling, so there's that uh, halfling feat, second chance. I think Lucky is better than second chance. And then in terms of leveling order, we would start Bard 3 then take Sorcerer 1 because it gets you both Divine and and Arcane casting, then take Warlock, finish it off at level 9, finish off your levels of Sorcerer, and then I think as a capstone, I like taking Portent. Uh, so then take your Divination Wizard as your last two levels. So Ishin, who is your Holy Roller? My Holy Roller is kind of like a fantasy land televangelist. But not a terrible person. So, okay. so, so not Joel Osteen. <laughs> right. Although maybe similar, not similar tactics, a similar goal-ish. So they've been called. They know they must. Wait, they, yeah. Tax evasion? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Wait. Uh, no, it's not a monk or a high enough rogue. No, they don't get evasion. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but tax evasion. In, it reduced incoming taxes by one half. Oh, yeah, that's exactly. Right. That's yeah, reaction. Yeah, okay, yeah. Right, yeah. It does say damage, and it hurts my pocketbook. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, so they've been called to build a church. But churches are expensive. I don't know if you know this. It takes a lot of money. 10% of most people's incomes, in fact. <laughs> so my Holy Roller, she's a good person. She doesn't want to swindle old people out of their meager life savings. Instead, she says, you know what? There are other people I could be swindling. Worse people I could be swindling. Okay. Who really aren't doing good things with that money. So I am going to go out into the world and I'm going to find these games. I'm going to go to the casino planet 
in The Last Jedi. Right. And instead of running around on strange camel dogs, okay. I'm going to actually play the games oh. and win. And, and have your game ruined by strange camel dogs. Oh, perhaps, yes. But of course, when I do win, I'm not going to then use my chips as bullets. I will uh, cash them in for money and then buy cheaper bullets. Right. <laughs> And then, you know, you can't make a, an entire living out of this, and especially if you want to be an adventurer. It turns out that dungeons often have very expensive things in them. Indeed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you use your abilities. She hops onto a party and says, you want to do some spelunking? Yeah, yeah, I can do that. All for all for a higher purpose, to get a bunch of money and build a big building, a big pretty building for the second coming of uh, Thayar's Dune. Nice. Because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> you can't have nice things. Okay. Who is your Holy Roller? So my Holy Roller is um, actually like an alternate to the Bard, I guess, in sort of the classical role sense. Uh, it, I'm thinking someone like uh, Stephen the Irishman from Braveheart, right? Uh, you can speak to your deity and those kind of things, right? You have a, a celestial patron who has access to gods and, and different things. Uh, but you're leading from the front, right? I mean, you are fundamentally a soldier. So you wade into battle with other soldiers and you have to reinforce them, right? You have to maintain their morale and help them, help lead them to success. Uh, but, it, you know, when the battle is done and you've made camp, there's a lot of downtime to kill as a soldier. So <laughs> you, <laughs> you might as well be good at gambling. <laughs> uh, that is kind of, you know, the soldier's game. So... Uh, if every battle is gambling with your life, then every evening is just gambling away your paycheck. And if you're going to take someone's money, it may as well be the Scots. Right. <laughs> Do I get to kill the English? <laughs> Excellent. It's my island. <laughs> well, then why why do you need to gamble? <laughs> Don't you have a whole island? <laughs> it's, it's, it's good ante, you know? We begin with one island apiece. Right. <laughs> All right. Before we wrap up, we do want to take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And if you check out that website, you will see a link to the Character Creation Forge where you can find the Holy Rollers build documented for you in a spreadsheet. Also, you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It'll help other people figure out who the heck we are, and I'm pretty sure that most of the uh, places that people listen to podcasts take iTunes ratings into consideration when figuring out who to display next. And if you do that, we will read your five-star review on the air. So this one is a solid RPG advice podcast for players of all shapes, sizes, and morphologies from Argetlam. Five stars. I started listening to Total Party Thrill just before they wrapped up the Morning Glory recaps and managed, through mainlining the show through eight and a half hour workdays, to catch up well before episode 100. Just uh, ignore the fact that it took me this long to review here. I forget things. Every Thursday morning, I add the new episode to my MP3 player, because I'm old and I like old tech that doesn't require an always-on internet connection, and sit back in the knowledge that at least an hour of my workday is accounted for. I especially enjoy the character creation forge, because if you look at my 4E character builder folder, you would see that this is exactly the same thing that I do. 458 unplayed but fully built characters and counting. Send help. Keep up the excellent work. 458 is a lot, Shane. 
Uh, yeah, but I believe the Zune by Microsoft can hold at least 500 characters. <laughs> I, everyone on Earth is using it. <laughs> uh, so thank you for the review, Argit Lam. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about failing forward. And in the Character Creation Forge? We're building the one-hit wonder. Well, that's it for episode 132 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. 